Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to Destination Linux episode 95, a podcast where four relatively intelligent people discuss Linux with me are my friends, Michael. How are you doing? Pretty good. And uh, Ryan? I am doing awesome. And last but not least, Zeb, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm awesome, thank you. Fantastic. Well, Zeb, you're always up to something. Um, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, I've been trying out Theron OS's experimental KDE version. Mm. Um, and once he put the ISO out there, I tried to install it on my reasonably complicated setup. Um, and Calamari's just wasn't cutting it for me. So he made a quick uh, Ubiquity update and that installed it fine. So what we've been doing is he's gone back to the Calamari's installed and made a few tweaks um, and now I'm happy to report that it's been resolved, so it should now install on most people's uh, UEFI setups. So, very cool. Yeah, it was a good week. That's very nice. cool. Ryan, how is the Southern Gentleman doing? <laughs> I am doing well, and I've been playing with a couple of things this week that will be up on my channel, like, for instance, testing out the Yeti Nano, not really versus the Rode Procaster here, but at least comparing those options for a lower-cost mic versus a much more expensive equipment mic and things like that. But most importantly, I want to tell everyone, you want to wait till the very end of this episode because we have a very special announcement and it truly changes everything with Destination Linux. Trust me, you're going to want to wait for this. Right. It'll, it'll basically be, I got a haircut. <laughs> Michael, I didn't mean <laughs> to skip over you. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. And actually, if you can, if you watch the video version, you'll notice that I have a different... Actually, if you can probably hear it too, if you listen to audio, because it's a microphone. I have a new microphone, is what I'm saying. And it's, uh, it's much better because it actually has the, the, the right volume compared to everyone else. Imagine that. <laughs> yes, and it makes me makes it so that I don't rip out the hair that I want to keep while I'm <laughs> editing. So that's nice. Now, so people understand, Michael, this entire time on both his show and on this no, podcast no has been using a rock band mic. I'm not kidding, people. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trolling Michael. He literally used a $6 rock band mic. How dare you? It was $16, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you know, it's too bad you don't know anybody in the audio world that maybe could help you out with something like that. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, uh, I'll, and, I'll and have to hit them up can, someday. And what we can enjoy now is we don't suddenly lose Michael as he goes over here. And we don't <laughs> well, he, no. See, in that he, case, it's, it was fine. It, you, you had to lean all the way over. I just had to do this for a little bit, and it has ruined it entirely. <laughs> so now like, you won't look like a silly child as well. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it won't have a big rock band logo on next to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Zeb, uh, what do we have going on for email this week? Yeah, well, we got another uh, cool email, and um, I'm really beginning to, to like this um, section. But in previous weeks where I've tried to ad-lib, I've ended up wrecking the email. So you're going to have to bear with me, guys. I'm just going to read this because it's, it's really, really good. So this email we've got this week is from a gentleman called Andrew, um, and he starts off saying, Hi, guys. I write, I write to you since a couple of episodes ago. I heard you would like to hear more from Linux users who have a background that is not directly related to computer science. So here I go. Um, I have a BA in foreign languages and an MA in linguistics, and this is almost my third year Windows free. Yeah. We all like to hear. yeah. While doing my MA, I took a course in corpus uh, analysis 
and was introduced to R and Python very briefly. And although it sparked a strong, in, not, not although, but not and, although it sparked a strong interest in me, I decided to dive more into these programming languages, but installing them and installing libraries on Windows seemed not to be that simple at the time. And I grew frustrated with it, so I decided to try out Linux. So I went and downloaded my first Ubuntu ISO. Even though I was not familiar with anything related to systems administration, it went smoothly. Nice. In fact, it went so well that a couple of months after I started, I was distro hopping like crazy for almost a year. Everybody does, right? You get exactly. into Linux, mm -hmm. you pick a distro, you're like, I love it. Now let me see everything that's out there. Because it's like the first time you have options. If you're stuck in the Windows world, you're not used to having options. And I think that's why so many people distro hop. Although, like Joshua, and we were what we're going to talk to later, I think at some point you do have to kind of calm down on the distro hopping because yep. it'll get to a point where you're not really learning anything else. But it is something that everybody does, and I think I think a lot of it is it's the first time we've ever had choices. Yeah, the longer you're on Linux, the less you distro hop. But the first year or two, there's there's quite a few. Like oh, it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like three or four a week for me for a while there. <laughs> and he goes on to say, it may surprise you, but there is actually a decent number of linguists, and this I have noticed in the different universities that Linux may not be their main OS, but it's still a good trend. I love Linux so much that I also learned how to use Emacs so that even when I am forced on a Windows machine, I can kind of feel at home. And this passion has grown so much that I have learned the ELISP. Would one pronounce that as ELISP? Yeah, it's ELISP. Yeah, necessary to write basic packages for corpus analysis. Now, I'm assuming corpus analysis is some sort of... Um, texting things yeah because it seemed a bit strange I, th I thought for a minute he was talking about corpuses um, <laughs> um, so he's he's managed to write some basic packages for corpus analysis and then he goes on to say text analysis so i should have just kept reading for emacs it is called linguistic it is nothing fancy big or incredible but if someone had asked me i would never have imagined that i would have ended up writing a piece of software that can be used Linux has made me discover a huge passion for programming, data analysis, open source, and reproducible research. And I always will be grateful to the community for that, since without the help of many people on the forums, chats, and computer science departments, me and many others would never have had an easy and pleasurable time discovering this world. I would like to finish this email by saying that I love your pod podcast and I listen to you every time I go to university where I have just started my second M MA in AI. All thanks to Linux. You guys rock apart from Ryan. Well, <laughs> the best. Oh, yeah, he doesn't say that. Uh, <laughs> oh, did he not? Sorry, I thought <laughs> I could make that one up. <laughs> No, this is an amazing email. It's amazing for many different reasons. Obviously, Andrew's done an incredible job in his journey of leveraging the power of Linux and programming and things like that, where it certainly shines. It shines in many areas, but that's one definitely where uh, Linux stands out. Anytime you're doing any development or programming, data analysis, um, doing the uh, reproducible research that he's trying to work on. But what I love to hear is that this is from a college. So he's going to college. You hear this all the time. Well, don't I have to have a Windows computer to you be in college and all this type of stuff? The answer is no. 
you don't. You you don't. You have these options here, and this kind of proves it. You can utilize Linux in college anywhere you need it, and it's going to fit in perfectly. I loved it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting as well that he had the same experience with the community that you did during your 30-day challenge. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the community was absolutely amazing uh, through and through for me. They They got excited about the fact that this Windows user was in their territory and they, I think they could see I was really wanting to see if Linux could replace Windows. So they gathered around and they made sure I was going to be successful. And it was it's an easy job nowadays in Linux. It may not have been from what I hear 10 years ago, according to the dark ages of Linux. But today, it's pretty easy to switch someone to Linux. I bring them down, show them my computer. They're like, wow, I never knew that existed. And 10 years ago was the first year you could reasonably say... Yeah, I I could probably switch someone to Linux and not feel wor- worried about weird stuff not being available, and then and not pledge myself to undying support for right. the next you <laughs> know, year so, and a half. So like this this entire decade has been like every year better and better and better. And like if you were to say fifteen years ago, I'd be like, no, don't even no, just yep. don't bother. Mm-hmm. Like unless you unless you wanted to learn like how the core worked, it wasn't worth it. But uh, it's uh, and now it's it's super easy and the fact that he said that he didn't know anything about Ubuntu or Linux and he just started using it, and it even though he didn't know anything about system administration it shows that you don't need to know any of that stuff to get started now and that is a great example of it yep so Zeb go ahead and threaten our listeners about making sure they send in more emails no I think I'm going to be uh, Mr. Nice and Cuddly this week Aww. so we we would still like to know how you guys and girls use Linux so send us an email on how you use Linux and the applications that you've found to accomplish your day-to-day work. And please send them through to comments at destinationlinux.org. You will. You will. <laughs> there you go. Add it in for them, Michael. <laughs> now, this next segment I'm very excited about. I know our Destination Linux listeners are going to be very excited about because we have a lot of passionate Solus fans out there. We had a chance to sit down with Joshua from Solus and get some questions answered on recent events that have been going on and look at the new things that are on the horizon for this project. So let's check it out. Josh Strobel, he's the experience lead from the Solus Project and the creator of the Solus Gnome Project and our guest here on Destination Linux. Hey, Josh, welcome to Destination Linux. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, um, you know, just uh, a little bit before we get started, we always ask people about their journey into Linux. So tell me the story. How did you get started with Linux and why? What, tell, me the, tell me that story. Yeah, so um, it was back in, I would say 2008, 2009, I got my first laptop as a student and uh, pre-installed was the best operating system in the world. Completely flawless, uh, no issues with it. It was uh, called Windows Vista. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I had no issues whatsoever. In fact, I'm not actually running Linux. Uh, no. So it constantly, book this guy. <laughs> it constantly blue screened to death. So I literally typed into Google free operating system and I came across this thing called Ubuntu. You might've heard of it. Uh, so I installed this thing called Ubuntu 9.04. And then I don't know for how many years I distro hopped as the usual. Uh, but I've been using Linux ever since, and it's been part of my daily life. And I, I can't imagine using another operating system or subjecting cool. myself to another operating system. I agree. Very cool. So during that whole Linux journey, what led you as you were hopping and going through the distros to your journey landing at Solus? Yeah. So that was actually a OMG Ubuntu article of all things, nice. because I was quite interested in like Chrome OS esque 
UIs at the time. I was quite attracted to that. And they had an article up, uh, Joey added an article up regarding Evolve OS. They had just announced uh, their first beta featuring a Chrome OS design for Budgie 8. So I was like, this sounds awesome. It sounds right on my alley. Let's just go ahead and do what normal distro hoppers do and let's just dive right in. Let's not even look at what packages there are, if it will even suit my needs. And uh, I install it. There was like no packages, uh, which to to this day rem- remains a meme. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and what really attracted me at that point was the fact that uh, obviously for superficial reasons. So looked like Chrome OS, but technical reasons. It was focused on a single architecture. It was focused solely on home computing devices. So laptops, desktops, two in ones. And, uh, and then obviously I had a great mentor, which was Ike. So he helped me get started with the project. And that was back in uh, February, March of 2015. So. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've been with the project ever since. Nice. So what kind of projects do you work on for Solus? Uh, wow, I work on a lot of projects, uh, including obviously the Solus GNOME edition and making sure we have a sane, at least as sane as possible out of the box experience for GNOME, as well as the development of the website and the resources around that. And as of late, the development of Budgie. So a lot of features that you're going to be seeing in Budgie 10.5 are some of the things I've been working on or I've been working with various new developers, such as Yursan, on uh, some new functionality like a caffeine applet integrated right into Budgie. So nice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, like uh, as far as the caffeine, you're referring to like the the screensaver being removed. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, the thing that disables like auto sleep and screensaver. Yeah. I love that app, especially Ooh. if you're watching movies or doing anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I still argue like you know why even have a screensaver at that point? Just turn it off. That's right. Just saying. <laughs> Or just not randomly lock my screen. But it's nice that the functionality is there. Previously, it was just a Python applet. And uh, mm-hmm. I worked with him on actually getting that ported over to Vala and merged directly into Budgie. So nice. uh, every single Budgie user, whether they use Solus or not, come 10.5 is actually going to get that. So really excited for that to be released. One of our patrons said they thought Caffeine was an app that would tell you when you're supposed to go get more coffee. And if you can add that feature in there, that would be brilliant. <clears throat> well, the next time you look, yeah, every time you look at the clock, that is when. Yes. Exactly. I actually have a website where it's like, does Josh need dot coffee? And it's like almost <laughs> always yes. As the answer. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, now on to the subject matter that's on everyone's mind. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of speculation and news about Ike and Solus. You yeah. recently released a couple of blog posts explaining what has taken place with the core team and Ike's absence. Uh, and now Ike's open letter via Foronix to the Solus team. So yeah. there's been a lot of information around lately. Can you tell us about this situation from your perspective? Right. So I, I guess it... The biggest item first was the the second outage, which was on September 8th. And that was the outage where it was indicated to us by OVH that the servers were not going to be up. And that was when we needed to take it into our own hands to migrate our users over to a new domain. Unfortunately, OVH was willing to keep the servers up for an additional five days, uh, after which point IKEA actually reached out and renewed that. But that's when it all first started. So that was extremely stressful, um, to put it lightly. 
Uh, it involved obviously putting up a temporary mirror and obviously getting our our blog post out, alerting individuals via the supercharging souls infrastructure blog post in terms of what was happening and what we were going to do moving forward, which included uh, constant communication via our social media and making sure users were moved over to a new package repo so they could actually continue to get updates. So that that's how it all started. And then obviously we, we moved from there towards getting our development forum, uh, development bug tracker up as well as our forums and, uh, and then moving forward with communicating with Patreon as well as the third-party services that were in Ike's control um, or under an account that only he had access to. And that's when that began. So that was around, I would say, late September. And going into late October was when uh, the conversations really started happening around Patreon. So, And then after that point, just recently, Ike has reached out <clears throat> in an updated blog post and basically has given some additional access back, right? Right. So to clarify, the access he gave was to the soul-project.com domain. We are now okay. under complete control of that. He's granted us all, also all the copyrights and intellectual property in regards to Solus, uh, which wasn't a concern for us. Obviously, we respect Ike. He's a great friend of ours, and we know that that was never going to be an issue, but it, it's, it's nice that it's out in the open and clear to everyone. Um, so he gave us just recently access to the soulsproject.com domain, and with that, what I'm going to be doing is uh, moving over any users that might have been or n might have not updated their system, what I'm going to be able to do is apply DNS changes so it'll actually point to our new package repo servers. So that'll be fantastic, as well as uh, pointing soulsiphonproject.com over to Git Solus. So there's a lot of measures in place, and this is also going to allow us to recover our G Suite or Google Apps for Business account. And that will actually lead us, hopefully, to accessing PayPal. So you're on the right road anyway. I, I'm on the right road. Yeah. That's so fantastic. I just want to tell you guys, you know, you've done an amazing job communicating throughout this whole thing. I know it's mm -hmm. not easy and I know yeah. there can be a lot of mixed messages here and that, but your blog posts were so detailed. It read like somebody had really taken the time to journal every single action that had taken place in a reaction. Yeah. It's rare to see in a lot of situations where distros do communicate or even over communicate. Uh, which is a good thing when things like this are happening, right. there's a lot of unknown and you all on that core team handled it absolutely beautifully in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yep. Ryan, okay. just to, to your point, um, Ike said in his message, and I quote, rise above the toxicity and politics that plague the Linux desktop world. Josh, I'll just ask directly to you, did that happen in this case? Was, in your view, was the response from the community toxic? You know, I, I didn't know what to expect when we released that in full sale article. And when I, when I posted it to r slash Linux, which as some, any lurker of r slash Linux might know, can have a lot of individuals with controversial opinions, mm. which is fine. So I posted it there and I was always trying to be incredibly responsive to any sort of comments. But the, the feedback we've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive and supportive. Uh, it's actually been really, really incredible. And there's been people that reached out and said, hey, I understand the situation you're going through. Uh, just let us know when when donations are up again. And thank you for being transparent about the, the Software Freedom Conservancy aspect. 
Uh, and I mean, just, just people reaching out and saying, I still support you. I still support the core team. And I understand that, you know, the values that Solus represents is values you guys still believe in and still want to carry forward with the project. Yeah. So I think that's amazing. And uh, I think we saw a very similar thing in our telegram. There were people questioning, Hey, what's going on? What could it be? But they were yep. all supportive yeah. and still wanting to continue to support Solus. And we have a lot of love in our destination telegram group for Solus. A mm-hmm. lot of users of Solus in there. So I think that was great. So we're really excited. I don't think there was any doubt, but Solus continuing forward is amazing. And yeah. we're very happy about that. So let me ask, kind of flipping it around, what kind of support do you need from the community at this point? Well, so at this point, um, obviously, we're not accepting financial donations, uh, even though we have access to Patreon and we have measures in place to ensure that's distributed. The credentials are distributed to all the core team. We want to make sure we have a legal entity backing Solus before we start accepting donations again. Um, so beyond financial, there's, of course, always moral support. And we've gotten a lot of moral support from our users and those outside our community. Uh, but beyond that, if you're a Solus user or you're interested in becoming a Solus user, uh, obviously helping others in our community is extremely helpful. It reduces the burden on us and it makes sure that other individuals in the community have their needs met. Mm-hmm. And if you have any sort of technical background or if you're interested even in being mentored, then you know we have a, a, a big amount of global maintainers and individuals that are familiar with package maintaining. So if you want to get involved there with package maintaining or submitting bugs, then I obviously welcome you to do that too. And obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that front on yeah. making it easier for people to engage mm-hmm. and making it clear where people can engage. And that's something I tried highlighting in our improving community engagement blog post, as well as our follow-up to that, being cognizant of the fact that in order for Solus to grow, we need to make it easier for people to actually get engaged feel like their issues are being addressed and that we are listening to them and that they also are empowered to address those issues as well. So there's a lot of work to do on that front and it absolutely is going to be a priority for us going forward. That's actually refreshing to hear because a lot of the times people would like, um, you know, if you, when you, when you ask the question, how can they help, how can people help and what are you doing to make it easier for them? It's usually like go read the documentation or, you know, contact us on IRC <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But the actual like yeah. putting an effort to make it make it easier as easy as possible to get people to involved is always a great thing to hear. Yeah. So there's work to be done on that front, especially around uh, providing more centralized first party services for communicating with us that both the community wants to use and that we as the core team want to use as well. But in addition to that, we also want to make sure that our documentation is actually a bit more thorough and laid out in a more logical manner, this is something that I'm cognizant of as the individual that created the help center that at least with, for instance, our packaging documentation, it's you go to it and it's like, where do I even get started? You know, do I start at this one random document or do I start at building packages? Like how, how do I get started? So that's something I want to address as well to make it easier for individuals. So a lot of work. Well, speaking of work that that's Phyllis team has been doing, we recently talked about in last episode about the the plasma testing ISO that was uh, that was released. Uh, could you yeah. give us some more details about that? Yeah, so plasma and the Souls Plasma Edition have been a real passion project of Peter, which is a, a sunny flunk in our community and also a member of the core team. He's our performance lead, 
so to be clear, little credit goes to little to no credit goes to me on that regard. It's all the credit goes to him and a lot of the plasma testers in our community. Well, he uh, sure you know, made Michael happy. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, we've all, yeah. We, I mean, we've always been about providing a sane set of default experiences for our users, whether that's budgie and at least in our opinions, a default experience for that as the, the developers of it, uh, whether that's an out of the box experience for Gnome or Mate and now hopefully coming soon plasma. So he's been doing a lot of incredible work around that. And I know he was really excited to get a, a plasma testing ISO out to the public. Nice. Because that. That, as soon as I tried it, I was like, yep, I hear some things that I that could be improved. Because like the, yep. the reason I like the idea of it anyway is just like I, I know that Solus puts that effort into making sure like the out-of-the-box experience is the best it can be or the best yep. it can be offered. So as soon as I tried it out, I was like, okay, I'm going to test all the things that I know I don't like about Plasma. And let's see if there's fixed. <laughs> right. I found maybe one thing, maybe two that yeah. I need to like just submit like a – like this could make it even better. So yep. consider this. So I look forward yeah, I mean, to that. It was the exact same thing when I started using GNOME solely because of Exposé, of course, uh, just because that's something we don't have in Budgie. And I was like, all right, what is everything I know a user is going to change? What's everything I know I'm going to change about GNOME? Yeah. And let's just do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> let, let's just have dash to dock enabled by default. Let's have top icons because whether GNOME believes it or not, people actually use a system tray. Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> so let's just enable that for our users. And let's make animation snappier. So we did that because no one wants to like wait around and basically watch a slideshow for their animations. You know, they have actual work to get done. So let's go ahead and do that. So we, we've been working on that. And on the Mate front, we've also been working on Brisk Menu. Uh, and that's hopefully something we'll pick up more in the future uh, and have development continue on that front. So uh yeah, I mean, the Mate experience is pretty good, and we have a couple new contributors that have been really working hard to improve that as well. Nice. So. Mm -hmm. so you've obviously got your main desktop environment, which is right. the, the Budgie version, and you've already given us a little snippet of, of what's coming up, but what can our listeners get excited about in the upcoming Budgie releases? Um, I, am, I am so excited for, for Budgie 10.5 when it's, when it's going to be released. Uh, so something our users have been requesting for, I would say over a year, maybe more, uh, since really the incarnation of like Budgie 10.4 and maybe a bit before that is, uh, notification grouping. So grouping notifications based on the app that actually sent the notification, being able to dismiss that entire set of notifications or individual ones. So oh, that's nice. Individual dismissive notifications is coming to Budgie 10.5. It's actually already in Git. Uh, notification grouping is already in Git. And then you'll be able to do per app volume control right from Raven. Nice. nice. So wow. you don't even have, you don't have to open up Pavo control. You don't have to install that. You don't have to go to GNOME control, uh, control panel, mm -hmm. uh, control center, and actually like, make modifications there. You could do a right from Raven uh, as well as change your microphone volume, which is something we didn't have before, or just change your microphone entirely. And then we have a bunch of features in Budgie window manager and Budgie settings that we're excited to be bringing into Budgie 10.5, like leveraging some of the mutter functionality for uh, if you enable it, just hovering over a different window and changing focus or even uh, different functionality in budgie settings like being able to hide certain widgets in Raven or set your volume to allow it to be over 100%. Uh, 
So if you want to crank it to 150% volume, you're listening to that nice like Led Zeppelin album. Yeah. So, <laughs> or Spe- or or Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> of course. Yeah. That was <laughs> Since we're talking about audio, um, I heard on this uh, Hackfest on October 27th that you are working on Jack support. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, what is the end goal that you have in mind for Jack? Right. So obviously, uh, an aspect of our community is content creators. And some of those content creators are, for instance, musicians that would like to use applications like our door, which heavily leverage real-time audio and low latency audio, as well as Jack. So Brian spent a considerable amount of time uh, fixing some in- incorrectly configured PAM, which is for those who aren't aware, PAM is the pluggable authentication modules. Basically what it provides is different modules for authentication, for login, GNOME and KWALT keyring support, uh, and so on. And then building on top of that with the same Jack configuration that then could be used by applications like our door. Um, we're not planning on switching away from Pulse Audio, but we do want to provide content creators the ability to have a sane, out-of-the-box Jack experience sure. if they want it. Sure. So how would that work, switching to the Jack experience? Because I personally have lots of issues with Pulse Audio. Right. I know some people don't, and it's just, I guess, a matter of what equipment you have. Right. Pulse is the best, else. how dare you? I, I use Jack and Jack. I use, actually, I use the KX Studio suite right. and you know the implementation of Jack on top of sure. mixed in with Pulse Audio to get my stuff to work correctly. Is this a situation where I could install Solus, go into a settings panel, check some boxes, and I'm on Jack, or is it going to be a little more than that? So to be completely honest, I'm not entirely sure what sort of measures you will need to put in place okay. to enable Jack, but I know for a fact that we will have help center documentation when we actually are, are done enabling Jack support. Yeah, I think uh, that's huge. So I'm super excited for that. Yeah. yeah, I know a lot of users are. So with the new core team in place, are there any directional changes the team is planning to make? I know you talked about kind of doing some more community outreach and documentation, but anything else that the community may want to be aware of? Right. So uh, our first priority is getting souls for out the door. Uh, It's quite easy to admit that it's been a while since we have have had a major souls release. I don't really consider the the souls three ISO refresh to really count. Um, so what we've done is pushed back, uh, the software center to a four dot X release and only have budgie 10.5 as the, the remaining blocker for Salesforce. So that way we get that out the door because in addition to, for instance, budgie 10.5 as a feature, uh, we also have a lot of upgrades to our stack like Xorg and Mesa lib updates, uh, that we need to get out as well to our users. Uh, in addition to that, after 4, we'll have 4.1, and that is when we'll be upgrading our GNOME stack to the latest of the GNOME stack, so it's like 3.30.2, I believe, and uh, releasing Budgie 10.5.1. So basically, Budgie 10.5.1 is going to introduce support for the GNOME 3.30 stack because they made a lot of changes to Libmutter and Dbus and Vala that, that need to be accounted for uh, for, for now, until Budgie 11, of course. Awesome. So uh, those all sound good, but I was just curious, are there anything else that you that you are excited about the future moving forward for Solus and that you might want to share that excitement with the with our viewers? I am really excited about introducing a new software center. 
with Flatpak and or Snap support. I, yeah. I feel like that's something that we've been really wanting, even internally, uh, to just finally deprecate our old third-party repository, uh, which has existed for far too long. <laughs> and, and then going beyond that, I'd like to see us address some of the issues around our installer, as well as just completely revamp some of the installation processes, break it out into two-step where you have a, a an install, which is just writing to disk, and then you have a post-install, which is like user setup, similar to GNOME initial setup. So we're, we're interested in, in doing that as well. So I'm not entirely sure when that will land, but it is definitely on the roadmap. Nice. So Very about nice. this about the software center, would there be any, like, uh, have you considered doing anything like the app image and having like app image launcher integrated into it so that you could like, basically the, one of the things that I was always curious about, there's very, if there's any distribution that offers an app image experience out of the box that is right. like reasonably like set up. Cause there's, there's one that does only app images and that's kind of awkward by itself, but like having the ability to, instead of having to every single time go into make sure it's ex- executable and everything, but to have like a, yeah. a launcher aspect to it, like could the software center that you build for Solus, would that be implementing something for that? Well, so it isn't on the roadmap, but the way we're designing the software center has is very much designed in a plugin oriented architecture. Uh, so what we have is basically going to be an EO package plugin, a, a snap plugin, a flat pack plugin, and then eventually we could rip out the EO package plugin and and put in the sole, which would be like our new package manager, put a plugin in for that. So in theory, someone could write an app image plugin okay, nice. and, integrate it, and integrate it into the software center when we're actually done done writing the initial implementation of that. Uh, so it's not, it's, there's... There's no technical reason why we couldn't do it. It just isn't uh, an immediate priority, but you'll at least be able to launch app images through your file manager because right. we're not going to be ripping out binary support. So <laughs> fortunately, you wouldn't ever have to worry about that. <laughs> well, I think it's very clear that Solus is in the right hands and is moving in the right direction. Uh, we just want to take a moment because Ike, we've been huge supporters of Solus from the beginning and Destination Linux. Ike has done amazing work. He's come on this show. I think he's done amazing work for the open source community as well. He's always been uh, considered a friend of ours, and we congratulate him. I know this was mentioned in his post on being a father and want to wish him well on his journey. So, He's he's an absolutely wonderful individual, and it's been an absolute honor working beside him and having him as a mentor. I've learned so much about Linux like far, far more in the last few years than I ever thought I would learn about Linux. Um, and he's given us a sense of direction and a vision that we all want to abide by, that we all respect, and that we all want to carry forward and just it provide to more users, which is just a, an operating system based on technical excellence. It's nice. Very cool. So, Joshua, um, Thank you very much for yes. agreeing to be on the show. Uh, we know that these last few weeks have been probably quite a, a, a torrid time uh, yeah. for the core team. So we would like to also thank you and the entire core team for your continued work on Solus and the open source community. Um, and we're truly excited to follow the progress of Solus um, and look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me.
A new version of Manjaro Stable is out, 18.0. Now, Manjaro, if you haven't heard of it, is a distribution well-known for its friendly approach to Arch while still maintaining a rolling um, a rolling methodology. Now, in 18.0, there's a couple of new things. Obviously, it ships with the latest XFCE and the latest KDE. It's uh, utilizing kernel 4.19 LTS. They ha- it features the Manjaro Settings Manager. Now, if you're not familiar with the MSM, it uh, provides an easy-to-use graphical interface for installing and removing many of the series of the kernels that they offer. And it also features Manjaro Hello, uh, which has a couple of new f- functionality, obviously tons of UI enhancements. If you haven't played with Manjaro, but you have any inclination to check out an Arch style distro, of course, we recommend that you take a look at Manjaro because it's a really welcoming, friendly way to get started with those with that rolling style distro and the ability to kind of customize and build your own environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I remember in, early in my journey, which wasn't so long ago, uh, I was people were like, hey, you need to try Arch. And so I was like looking and everyone was like, well, if you want to try try Manjaro first. So when I tried Manjaro, then I started doing videos. And I'm pretty sure there's an old video of me on Manjaro saying, look, I figured out how to use Arch because I didn't know the difference back then. <laughs> so I, I thought, why are people acting like this is such a big deal? It's so easy to install. You just click next, next, next and does it all because Manjaro makes it so easy, right? It's just so simple. It's like installing any other major distro like Ubuntu or any of the other out there. I do still suggest because especially if you're on NVIDIA products, uh, you'd be a little more experienced in Linux because there can be issues at times with any of these distros uh, with NVIDIA and that black screen with blinking cursor, which if you follow our Linux and tech support and stuff, those are the number one issues that pop up. I booted up my machine. I've got a black screen and a blinking cursor. My first question is, you're on NVIDIA, right? Yep. Okay. Well, then go to no mode set or something. Did you have a recent update? Yeah, exactly. And anytime you do those updates. For the most part, though, Manjaro is very, very stable. It's a very solid operating system. We've had these guys on the show before. They're a fantastic crew. They'll help answer your questions and those type of things. But in addition to this release, they also have their update includes System ND, some NVIDIA updates, Baymac, Boot Splash, Deepin, and Firefox updates out there. So even though it's a rolling release, they're still obviously releasing all these updated packages and improving, like you said, Noah, on some of their settings managers and things like that, making it even better. Yeah, so, they have they have a nice mm-hmm. uh, idea of doing like, instead of doing a, they do like a big snapshot every once in a while in, uh, as on top of the rolling release. So instead of just, like there's there's refresh for the ISO refreshes that are good for having new packages. But they also like make a, you know, a splash sometimes where they do a full release so you can see like all the big differences between the two because if you're always getting new updates, you're not always aware of what's changing. So this is a good way of like making sure people are aware of that when they when they use this. Uh, and then also there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that they make that are really interesting. Like the, uh, the Manjaro Hello is basically the... Uh, it's basically the foundation of what Ubuntu Mate Welcome was from. So, like, there was a uh, like a lot of the a lot of cool stuff that you might not be aware of that Mandrao is of all they created. Like, they also created Pamac, which is like the Arch uh, GUI installa- installer for both uh, Pac-Man packages and AUR packages and stuff like that. So, they make quite a few things that are that are, that are used in various different other distros as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there is something else going on in the news that has got a lot of attention. This doesn't count as our big announcement, although that would be funny. Uh, but it is a huge announcement uh, because IBM is going to acquire Red Hat, as anybody not living under a rock has heard at this point. What? But what you, 
<laughs> Shocking, I know. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's very interesting situation that's occurred here. I've kind of been sitting back watching the community's response. And what I want to hear is actually your opinion, this you guys' opinion on what you think about this. So IBM basically bought Red Hat for $34 billion. I need to do the little pinky thing there. Yep. $34 billion out there. So this is a massive amount of money. I think it's one of IBM's biggest acquisitions ever. And it kind of came out of nowhere for me and probably most other people. Although mm-hmm. looking back... Uh, it, it's kind of something where I was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So what do you guys think? Is this is this the end of Red Hat Linux as we know it? I don't think so. I, I don't think it's the end, mainly because, well, we don't really know exactly what IBM plans to do. But also the fact that like Red Hat is an interesting business model because they, you're not basically buying a product or a particular service that is like proprietary because of their structure you're buying the company and the the people who are involved in the company because like the way they handle everything if they were to buy the the red hat and they were to you know institute some kind of policy that ruins what a red hat is it's not like the people who work there could just have to force to be stay they could all just leave and if they were then red hat would no longer be red hat so I think it would be oh, in IBM's best interest you have no idea trip. corporate america sir you could never leave it's like hotel california <laughs> man Well, in that case, maybe. (laughs) Noah, what are your thoughts when you heard this? I second Michael's. uh, I I second what Michael said. There's, there. You're purchasing a culture because there is no intellectual property for them to purchase. So the thirty-four billion dollars is put on the worth of the internal community of Red Hat. So therefore, you can't, if you're IBM, change the internal culture of Red Hat. Thus, you have wasted thirty-four billion dollars. I think it's also important to point out that this transaction represents the largest software acquisition in the history of mankind. And it was of an open source company. So that really speaks, I think, to the level of importance that open source has, not just in our community, but in the world at large. Open source has succeeded. And the time of dancing around in in the shadows and having Shadow Man to try to insert open source and Linux behind, I think that time has passed. And I think that's why Red Hat is revisiting their branding, why they're revisiting their logo. And I think this acquisition just speaks to that, that open source has become mainstream. And what it allows Red Hat to do is it allows this very successful, passionate company to be connected with um, a desire of these large enterprise customers that want to implement Red Hat solution. But these guys, they don't deal with tens of billions of dollars. They deal with hundreds of billions of dollars. And so you need a company like IBM to shake some hands and say, hey, let me introduce you to these guys who have the solution for you. I think there's a very real possibility in 10 years, we see that Red Hat is the number one hybrid cloud provider in the world. I've, I think that's a real possibility. I think it's going to happen. Wow. That's yeah. a huge prediction. What do you think, Zip? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think you've, you've, you've hit it on the head there. You hit the nail on the head that this deal simply accelerates IBM's high value business model, and it will make them the number one hybrid cloud provider. Um, and they're talking about it being a $1 trillion growth market. Um, so what better way to, to get yourself head, ahead of the game than by that one company that everybody knows does really well um, on that side of things? And it's Linux to boot. So, yeah, I think it's, a, it's a, really good, a really good thing for IBM. I think it's secured 
Red Hat's future. Not that there was any doubt that they would continue um, performing and growing, but yeah, I think it's I think it's going to come come really well, and it's going to bring people's attention back to what Linux can offer. It's not just us geeks sitting in the background messing with you know with with our desktops and our themes and our pixels out of place. This is a trillion dollar business. Yeah. So is this going to change the landscape though? Because this is one of the fears that people have said is, look, uh, there have been, I, I, first of all, when I heard the news, I was like, thank goodness it wasn't Google or some other company like or that. Oracle. IBM. Yeah, it could have been way worse, right? IBM is not a bad uh, partner for an acquisition. One of the things I am worried about, though, is does this mean now other companies are just going to look to start buying up now that open source is becoming popular now that it's basically controlling all cloud computing is this the next thing where we're going to have three big corporations buying up every big distro out there and if they did do we care does it matter is this a big problem i think it depends no. on the, the people who purchase the companies and <laughs> no no <laughs> it depends on the companies that are being purchased and it depends on who's purchasing them because there there's always going to be some conglomerate that thinks they know better and will purchase something and then just ruin it entirely. For example, my Microsoft and Skype. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I respectfully disagree. And I respectfully disagree because there is nothing keeping what makes open source valuable beholden to that company. So, for example, let's just say, worst case scenario, IBM turns out to be a terrible influence and tries to stifle Red Hat, right? Well, they can't really stifle what makes Red Hat valuable, which is their community. Their community of 8 million developers worldwide will up and leave Red Hat and begin contributing to whatever the next project that they want to contribute to is. And thus, they mm-hmm. really what you wind up doing is if corporate America does that or any corporation really, what they're essentially doing is throwing good money out the window because they've eliminated what made it valuable. You cannot put open source, you cannot put community in a bottle and you cannot control it. And those that try are just going to, they're going to find out how expensive a mistake that is. I mean, yeah, I but a lot of companies this big make that mistake. They We've seen mm-hmm. it time and time again of companies buying up and taking the cultures, ruining them, and then the product goes away. So I guess my question is this IBM acquisition, I think mm-hmm. it's a good partnership, but what if just making a conversation here, it. just just fantasy land, so, Microsoft it. buys Canonical. Of course you said it. Then, um, you know, somebody well, I was, yeah. was going to go Amazon even worse than that. Buys, uh, the next uh, competitor, like it just all, the, we have basically all these big projects that we have all pushed and developed and created now under the control of three major corporations because they're just fighting each other to buy up anything out there that's cloud related. Well, I think, I think there would be less of a hoo-ha if Microsoft bought um, Ubuntu or Canonical than if someone like Huawei came along, a huge big Chinese corporation came in and decided to buy canonical or something like that then you might have uh, a bit of an outcry i mean i think it would be an outcry if it was microsoft if microsoft bought anything there's gonna be an outcry just out of default default of it being microsoft but i I, agree i think that it's it's what no what you said is is i agree with the fact that you can't you can't ruin open source like the fact that the code is all open and the fact that the community can do whatever they want based on the licensing they really can't ruin the code and they can't ruin the in the ecosystem because even if they did ruin Red Hat, which is very, it's not likely because they, they mm. know why they bought Red Hat, but if they were to ruin it for some reason, uh, the code is still fine. So they, they, they can't ultimately hurt this, the ecosystem or the operating system, like the base of the, like a Linux system because of all the things that 
that Red Hat has made that is beneficial to the community is all open source. Like uh, System D wouldn't be destroyed just because Red Hat was like, just because IBM did something bad about Red Hat. It really doesn't right. matter overall. Lenart goes somewhere else. Yeah, he could just whatever. Like there's there's tons. He of joined CentOS or whatever the next uh, scientific Linux or whatever another uh, you know spin of of Red Hat. Yeah, any, yeah, anything like that. And there's there's so many different options that I think that the, it's true that the the system wouldn't. Like the system wouldn't be hurt and open source wouldn't be hurt. But I do think that it's possible that these companies could come in, try to purchase it and not understand the difference between open source and not. And they think that, oh, you're just giving it away free, but they don't really understand the structure. And then they would ultimately ruin it because they don't get it. And I think that they would ruin their the thing that they purchased, not the actual code in the community or anything right. like that. Because we could, we could kind of just deal with like, you know, roll the punches and ignore whatever. Just kind to of make sure nonsense. I'm getting it's safe to take off my tinfoil hat. I mean, you could yes, at least kind of tilt it to the side if you want. <laughs> no, I say take it all the way off. I, 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 I'm, I'm all in on this, and I, you know, you know, respectfully, this is one of those things that this is one of those situations, one of those news stories that I have dug deep, deep, deep into, and I've had communication with people at, at various different levels of Red Hat things that I, you know, all I can tell you is that there is a strong sense they know who they are they know what they're going to do if ibm wishes to participate in their success then they're welcome to do so and make billions of dollars doing it if they wish Mm -hmm. not to participate in their success that success will happen with or without ibm it's just a matter of if ibm chooses to take the profits off of it or not yeah fascinating i think it was interesting mark shuttleworth did do some uh, shots fired here moment on this acquisition, he says public cloud workloads have largely avoided Red Hat Enterprise Linux container workloads even more so. And few of you will be surprised to learn the spacefaring free software fan thinks the deal marks a significant moment in the progression of open source to the mainstream. But basically, he throws, he's saying in there that, you know, most people are on Ubuntu in these networks, not Red Hat. I think that it's a fair point. I mean, is when he, when this was first announced and people were immediately moving to the whole Microsoft buying Canonical. I mean, people have been saying Microsoft buying Canonical for so many so many years. It doesn't like it, it's now a meme, even though it's there's never been a reason for the people to to claim this. And I understand why people are now under the uh, the impression like maybe it's possible, but because people always said that there's no way Red Hat would sell. Uh, but the the main thing is that Canonical. You could argue that Canonical is in a better position than even Red Hat was, because like even though Canonical is not a public company, they are working to be a public company. So they when they do an IPO, we'll see just how much uh, influence they have. But the fact that they have the most widely used desktop distribution ever, and they also have massive cloud deployment. Ver- um, like Am- they basically have the majority in Amazon or Amazon Web Services, they have the like a ton of majority in, or as far as Linux goes, they have a majority for Azure. And they have a bunch of other stuff that has a big cloud deployment in various other places, like DigitalOcean and stuff like that. So as far as like the widest range usage of a distro, Ubuntu has that. So you could argue that because of all that, Canonical is positioned better to... Uh, convince bigger comp like large companies to utilize them and therefore maybe have a better chance to have like a public company where they don't need to be purchased or or even have the desire to be purchased so it depends let me, let me ask you a question michael so ryan categorized it as a shots fired what you're saying is factually correct a question to you and maybe or ryan or both of you um true or untrue was it a good idea to release that statement I mean, kind of. It depends. Uh, it was. It's both. 
because it's not the first time he's done a shots fired at, at Red Hat. So it's <laughs> it's not like it's just a shocking thing that he would do that. But he also and he's and he's not being like malicious to Red Hat. No, he's just pointing out mm-hmm. that he's just saying that people choose Ubuntu over Red Hat, which is accurate. Mm-hmm. And most I think of the reasons, the company that's probably about to go public, it was a brilliant statement to remind people that Canonical is yeah very the choice right. Yeah. Don't don't mm-hmm. worry about us. Yes, it, Red Hat has been purchased by a big a large corporation, uh, and great for them. You know, good job. We're still comfortable with what we are, and we're going to prove that mm-hmm. in the future. I think so. That's what when I we feel. Go public, we're going to be filthy rich and <laughs> okay. So let's 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 dig up. let's dig into that if, if for just a second, if we can. So sure. just playing devil's advocate a little bit. So unquestionably, Ubuntu is the choice when people choose uh, cloud operating system. We all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Question to you: Do you think it's because of the quality of the code, or do you think it's because of the cost of purchasing? Uh, Ubuntu as opposed to purchasing, you know, you have to get a rel license. Both. So up until up until very, very recently, like just within the last couple of years, your only choice if you wanted to use rel for free was to use essentially a recom- recompile like uh, CentOS or Scientific Linux or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, you know, with Ubuntu, you're getting the actual actual product with Red Hat, you had to use something else and then kind of twist your way over and, and repointing repos and all that's, I you know, a bit of a what- challenge. I think what Canonical did better than anybody else, and this goes back to, wasn't it IBM that said there will only be seven computers in the world, there'll never be a need for a personal desktop? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure back in the day that, that was, was IBM's IBM. statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what Canonical and Ubuntu have done is they went after the desktop market. They Very had true. the best mm-hmm. communication. They had the best ease of use. And in fact, as a new user of Linux, mm-hmm. out of every single distro, it was the only one that if I screwed up my system bad enough, I knew I could stick an Ubuntu ISO on and it was going to work. Absolutely. If I used any other distro and messed it up, Ubuntu was going to fix it and always has. They made the easiest installer and they got the popularity out there. Almost everyone we talked to says in, in the last you know five, six years, when they started in Linux, it was with Ubuntu. Because mm-hmm. they took that market, that's why. I don't think it has to do with cost. I think it has to do with reputation. They went after the right market, which was the desktop market, which a lot of people, by the way, in Linux, act like isn't that important. Oh, yeah, it's only 3%. You know, We only have 3% of the desktop. It doesn't matter because we have the cloud. I think this clearly shows how important getting that desktop market is. Yes. I think I, yep. I agree. And, that, and to, the, to answer your question, no, I think the answer is both. The fact that they have quality software, but also the fact that it's it's easier accessible. Like mm-hmm. with CentOS, you you're not really getting well. Now you are, but you weren't getting a Red Hat yeah. product. You are getting a Red that's, Hat product now, but very very recent. Like with within the last what year, two years, year, somewhere. I think, think it's like year yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that like back then it wasn't. You know, you, when you made the decision, is like, well, if I use this, I can't really guarantee I'll get support from these people. But if I use right. this, I can pretty much guarantee that whenever I need to get help, I can go to get their get their help. And, and let so. me tell you that point, because let's face it, I kind of know the answer before I ask a question. But that to that point, I have not a couple, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of clients that we had set up CentOS boxes and the prescribed Red Hat way was not just to point those CentOS repos over to Red Hat's repos and stack a support contract. No, we were supposed to wipe the machine clean, install RHEL, reset up all of our software. A lot of clients were unhappy about that. And I'm not saying that you can't point to a Red Hat repo. Somebody may have done that, but you're not <laughs> supposed to. Yeah, exactly. But the, I think that the, the, the point is, is basically like the, the transition phase is not like it, it's yeah. much cleaner in the Ubuntu set, section. And that's why that they, mm-hmm. the people were more uh, 
happy to use that. And that's why it got bigger and more popular. And I also think for the sure. desktop is a good point too, but mainly yeah. in the sense that let's say, for example, that you're, you're trying to deploy it in a company, you have the ability to do workstation and server mm -hmm. and have everybody using the same thing and not have to worry about which one well, like is rail basically for a desktop. Well, not anymore. They used to be, but Red Hat decided to change that up a bit. So like, I think the reason why they're better positioned is because they basically put all hands in deck and said, this is our distribution. Whether you use the server or the desktop, you have the same system and you don't have mm -hmm. to worry about like mm -hmm. learning something brand new and everything. And mm -hmm. I, and as someone who uses, who does web servers and all kinds of stuff, I use both CentOS and Ubuntu right. for yeah, various same, different same. things. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of things like Different, I think right tool for the right job. Right. I mean, Ubuntu comes out with like a lot of easy to use access. And then CentOS has like the stability that a web server you'd want something that's being mm -hmm. like beat on a t like a ton. Like and there's also like software that's made specifically for CentOS. And I think that there's a ton of reasons for having both. So I think that, that this is his comments are, you know, they're kind of like little tiny jabs or whatever. Little they're not. Jab. I don't, yeah. yeah. Tiny jab. I think it's just like, hey, you know. I think it's more like, hey, we're, we're still, still here. here too. You know, don't <laughs> yeah. don't just completely ignore us. But I don't think he was being really malicious. Does or anything, your opinion so. on this change, Michael? Because during all this IBM news, Red Hat actually put in one of their notes that they're going to be deprecating KDE Plasma. I'm done. I thought it would change your opinion. <laughs> well, not really. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think Plasma was the thing that Red Hat used anyway. So, like, what's the point? And it, I think that as far as Red Hat goes. Uh, there's no reason for them to offer anything other than the thing that the DE that they work on, you know? So like if right. majority of the people who work at Red Hat or who work on Gnome are actually employees of Red Hat, why would they mm -hmm. have multiple spins? Well, and let, let's, let's not forget the majority of people that use Red Hat don't have a DE. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, seriously though. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of Red Hat, well, that's technically, yeah. We could go back to uh, the desktop from Red Hat and let's talk about Fedora because Fedora 29 has been recently released. Yes, it has. And uh, we there's a ton of things about the, the, the latest release, and I really love the the new module, the like DNF module list. Um, and there's just like you know you can get the newest, latest, new, latest version of GNOME, which by the way, the Fedora's implementation of GNOME is very nice because it takes the it's vanilla the and it tweaks it it tweaks it enough where. You don't have to worry about the the default of vanilla of, of the vanilla gnome not working exactly how you want, but it doesn't do it so much that it's a completely different system. So I right. that, that's something to check out. Uh, uh, Ryan, have have you taken a look taking a look at this one? You know I have, man. I'm a, I know. I, love I was expecting you to have like this massive list of things. So <laughs> I was very excited about. I jumped on board the beta right before they did this release, and then upgraded through, and it's extraordinarily stable number one. So the upgrade process was beautiful. You could do it right through the GUI. No issues there upgrading at all. And in fact, I was tracking through some of the bug tracking reports and very minimal amount of issues in there. So it looks like they have a very solid release on their hands, which I absolutely love. You talked about the modularity. That's one of the big changes here in Fedora 29 is the ability to choose kind of like snaps between the package versions that you want of software. And this is a really neat idea because depending on if you're a developer or a regular user, you may want a different version of, say, uh, I don't know, Kubernetes or OpenShift or whatever you're using. You may want the bleeding edge version. You may want a very stable version. But now with that modularity, you can basically choose and you would go in and use DNF module list 
uh, to see all of the options that are there. So it reminded me very much of Snaps, how they have that ability yeah. with the different versioning there. So I thought that was very cool. Like you said, you get all the updates. And by the way, Fedora, I think, out of every distro I've tried, has the very best implementation of GNOME out there. Fedora, immediately when I get into GNOME and Fedora, I don't want to switch desktop environments, and I'm not a GNOME hater. I think GNOME has its place, but anytime else, anywhere else where I use GNOME, I pretty much am like, okay, how do I get a different DE on? But for whatever reason, the little bit of tweaking, because they don't, it's not like they do anything major with it. It's just a little bit of tweaking on the vanilla GNOME, and it works way better to me and is less distracting than the paneling and things that Ubuntu does, which I, I personally don't like. That doesn't mean it's not good and other people don't love it. It's just not for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good point. And I, I do think that they, they, they modify enough where it's like it's, it's a reasonable amount of modification, but not so much that it's, you know, it's a completely different design. And to be fair, I do think the default uh, GNOME needs some work. And I, I like that Fedora has done enough to be like to kind of they still need to do some more because you know I'd wait a theme is anyway. So the modularity of Fedora twenty nine <laughs> is awesome. Like the, yes. the, the like the just having the ability to do like you can do development in in Fedora twenty nine much easier in the sense of like you know when you want to do like a web a web app or something like that you could do like Node.js and have different versions of Node.js. And if you're not aware, like Node.js has this massive speed of updating. Uh, just most of the like JavaScript or web frameworks of any kind will update incredibly fast. Like they'll have these two, the stable version and they'll have the rolling version. And the rolling version, well, stable version is like every six weeks or so. And the stable and the rolling version is like every day. So there are these massive differences. So you want to, if you want to keep it up to date, it's very difficult to have a stable uh, build environment without having a completely different system to have all that. So this is a really cool approach to doing it. So I, I'm, I'm excited to try that out. Yep. Well, what was interesting for me was um, in all of the fedoras that I've tried, I've never installed the GNOME version, um, probably because I think they were probably the first ones that decided to implement Wayland and Wayland and NVIDIA just don't work. Yep. So this time around, I, I put the KDE version on. Um, and then lo and behold, two days later, Red Hat say we're it's not going to do That's why it's but, gone. Did they so, get rid of it in Fedora but, or just Red Hat? Just, just Red, Red Hat. Hat. Well, that's okay. what I was going to ask you guys. Is it just Red Hat mm-hmm. that is killing off um, GNOME? Or will Fedora now not be able to support GNOME as well because Red Hat aren't doing it? Well, the best thing about I mean, the Red Hat and the Fedora – uh, they they work they coexist basically and they both use packages from each other but fedora is more of the test bed so like like mm-hmm. Fed- red hat is the core where they find out okay this absolutely worked in fedora we're going to take it so i am super excited for red hat and centos to have the modularity in the future because that's going to be a huge mm-hmm. game changer for the enterprise section uh, but as far as like right now, the Fedora aspects of uh, Fedora would be fine to keep using KDE. And, yeah, and, the community supported you know. spins. I don't see changing at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the Red Hat's also just changing something like they're not using anyway. So what's the point? So then it's been in Fedora. I'm pretty sure the the KDE Plasma version of Fedora is an official non. It's just it's a spin, but it's an officially ran Fedora spin. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, obviously, one of the reasons why um, Ryan chooses Team Red is mm. 
the ease of transition when you're when you're distro hopping. So there's there's some great news um, for Ryan, and I'm surprised that he's not sold all of his props behind him um, <laughs> to get his hands on some, um, because our friends over at Foreignix have been doing some thread ripper um, testing. That's not how you and, say it. And just in case, you want <laughs> to say, say the word. That's, that's that. That's it. <laughs> and just in case you, you can't remember, um, they've got a 2920, which is a 12 core, 24 thread version for a mere $650. Then they go on to the ridiculous 2970WX, mm. which has got so 24 good. cores Sing it. and 48 threads. <laughs> and, that's, and that's about $1,300. And then they go on to the just stupid 2990WX because it's got 32 cores and 64 threads. I mean, Man, you're going to need a 4K drooling. monitor just to put H-top up with that flipping thing. <laughs> I, I'm drooling so, just thinking about it. Like that, so, that, this, so It I, sounds so amazing, and I, it, it just makes me laugh even more where just like like a decade ago, we we're talking about like the Core 2 duos being like these revolutionary things, and now we have these insanely monstrous, uh, you know, ludicrous systems of like the thread rivers yeah. and stuff. So when are you, when, when are you uh, selling up to buy one, Ryan? Listen, you'll know because I'll be live streaming me whispering sweet nothings into the <laughs> CPU's ear when I get one because this is just incredible. I would love to get my hands on one. Um, you know, the pricing looks ludicrous, but when you compare it and you look at the benchmarks and your price per performance is just absolutely incredible. So what you're saying is with a ludicrous price, you get ludicrous speed. You get ludicrous. <laughs> nice Spaceballs reference yeah. there, Mike. Well done, thank sir. You, you. Now, I, I really want a Threadripper. Now, price per performance, even through this, you're going to see that the processor I do have, which is the Ryzen 2700X, actually is the best price value for performance chip out there. And that's including against all of the Intels and everything out there. So that really is your best value chip for performance that you can get. And let me tell you, it's a beast. I can't slow it down. No matter what I'm doing simultaneously, rendering videos, going live, doing shows, it handles it all. And when I check my CPU usage, I think the highest I've ever seen it go was 25%. So I don't know what you do with the Threadripper, I'm, <laughs> but I want to find out. I want to see if it just like fits at 0.5% CPU usage because that would be kind of awesome. Um, but it's just an absolute dream to have one of these. But I think the most important thing here that I didn't realize in this benchmark test that Phronix does, which by the way, Phronix is just so awesome for always doing this stuff, is that the Threadrippers ran way better. Their performance was much higher on Linux than it was Windows. Windows has serious bottleneck issues with Threadrippers when they came out, and that's still ongoing. Whereas Linux is able to take advantage of all the parallel tasking abilities of the Threadripper, and it performs like an absolute champ. And I think that by itself is quite an incredible accomplishment for mm -hmm. Linux. Because by the way, people will always be like, can you run? You know, we talked about latest and greatest. Linux supports this stuff right now and does better than Windows on it, which I don't know that we could always have said that about latest hardware that came out, but we certainly can now, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the idea of, of, of Windows being inferior to the newest hardware is something I've been, I've been waiting to hear for a long time, so it's fantastic <laughs> that, that, it's, it, that day has come.
So. Yeah, and even though that price seems ludicrous, keep in mind the Core i9 competitor is two thousand plus dollars, so right. yeah. it's still cheaper than mm-hmm. the, the Intel. And by the way, is faster. It's faster in the 3D modeling and scientific computing and code compilation than the Intel out there. So it is just a better overall value. And, and isn't isn't the Intel just a twelve core? Well, I don't think it's just a twelve core. I think that seventy nine eighty XE is pretty much comparison to the 12 core 2920 if i'm not mistaken but i'd have to look it up mm-hmm. yeah mm. but that's what i'm saying i mean yeah. core compared to the amd go team red sorry <laughs> <laughs> he, he uses amd just by the way yeah. <laughs> often on destination linux we uh, we talk about games that work on linux and that have Oops, hit my, my mute. Have just been released for Linux, but Tony this week sent in a game suggestion that we knew we had to draw some attention to. It's called Xbill. Now, for, before we get into the description of Xbill, I just want to say that this game is released on every platform imaginable for the last 25 years. Palm OS, they got it. The Compaq iPack, no problem. We got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you have a device, that, powered by electricity in the last 25 years, powered this game probably runs on it. <laughs> Here's the description. This is, this is from the site. Ever get the feeling? No, hold on. <clears throat> Channel my, my inner voiceover. Do you ever get the feeling that nothing is going right? You're a system administrator and someone's trying to destroy your computers. Oh, no. The little people running around the screen are trying to infect your computers with Windows. A virus cleverly designed as to resemble some popular operating system. Additionally, <laughs> some computers are connected to the network with cables. <laughs> I think I read that wrong. When one computer on a network becomes infected, a spark will be sent down the cable and it will infect the computer on the other side when it reaches there. And dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. If that doesn't make you want to play, yeah, I don't know what will. Exactly. I mean, it's completely be- free, available for your distro. Have you played it? It's been available for 25 years. I didn't know that part. Did you actually? I, I didn't know. I don't know. It's been available for 25 years. I just know okay. that the compact iPack, that's like 1990s technology. So why anybody's <laughs> out there porting anything to that? A text editor, much less a game is beyond me. It makes sense because when you're playing it, one of some of the networks have different emblems where the little oh. guys crawling around trying to replace windows. And one of the em- emblems was OS2 warp. And I'm like, I'm nice. pretty sure that's pretty old. Uh, right. Yeah. Warp stuff. Like DOS 5.0 or OS2, which one? <laughs> We going with you know but yeah. it is a it is a fun little game to play when you when you just want something really simple you just want to click around you don't want to have a obviously there's no big storyline other than what no one mm-hmm. just read which they need to clip that and just play it on their website uh, <laughs> but, uh, basically the little guys come around and they keep more of them more of them are trying to come on the screen to attack your network and as you click on them they pop and explode which is fantastic and uh, you try to keep them from installing windows and it's kind of funny because they try to rip off you know <laughs> the linux and everything else off the screen to put windows in there so you have to kill them before they do that so That's fine. i got level 14 there you go nice Michael, did you play and you gonna try to beat my level fourteen? I have not have not had a chance to play it, but I will play it and I will get to at least champion. By the way, this is a fantastic game to play if you're waiting for Michael to start his this week in Linux on YouTube. <laughs> How uh, dare you? Great <laughs> oh wow. How dare you? Like I've because- I have not been late in the past 
four episodes. You're not late, but you take about 30 minutes to start, and it's fantastic because the only reason I got to le- only level 14 is because you finally started. So there you go. It's just, I'm just helping you up. I mean, I mean, I appreciate it. And and when I <laughs> want to be clear to clear about what I was saying, I'm not having it late, but because that's because I haven't given a time to do it in the past four episodes. Okay. So All I just right. said it's going to be on Saturday. And anytime I do it on Saturday, I'm exactly. You. you don't have to make an excuse for a troll. No, I'm just saying. Think, I'm just saying. Check out this week in Linux on Saturdays. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, what I loved about this game was there was no videos that I had to waste two and a half minutes of my life trying to watch. I just looked at it, read the description, and went, "Nah, next." Oh come on! This is built into <laughs> Linux. It's free. You don't even have to spend a dime. You're you're just a buzzkill. Well, let me help you out here. Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Let me help you out with the game. So there is another game out there that I've been wasting way too much time on lately uh, that I went back to when I saw this story pop up. You guys know Blizzard has snubbed Linux from the very beginning. Um, they basically have ported none of their software over. They don't help if stuff doesn't run right. They constantly update their, what is it called, Battle.net or whatever so that it doesn't work yeah. in Wine anymore and all of this stuff. So Blizzard who? What do they make? Yeah, exactly. So who cares about them, right? <laughs> um, so I was out there looking for a while for a good MMO coming to Linux. And one of the ones that dropped a while ago was called Albion Online. And Albion Online recently has has a major update coming out this November to improve it even further. I got on early in Albion Online and played it. And it was okay. But honestly, with kids and stuff, it's really hard for me to dedicate the time to an MMO. Um, but recently with the updates and things, I kind of took another look at it and it's running way, way smoother. But they're adding a lot of features here, like being able to change your guild logos, see party combat roles. But party finders is the big deal because I don't have a lot of time to play. I can't join a guild and go to guild meetings and do all this stuff. I need to jump on, get into a raid and go, you know, kill some big monster and then sure. log off. And being able to find random strangers online through a click of a button and little features like that, I think, enhanced this game a ton. And it runs in Linux. Um, I did get it to work in... It, it's made for Ubuntu, so this is not a knock on the fact that it doesn't work in Arch, nor in the AURs that are available for Arch. They do not work out of the box. There are a couple things you need to do to get it to work, like install SN uh, Audio and create a symlink, basically, to a different version of the lib... Um, package, but once you do that, it'll work fine in Arch, so I have it running, but just know that if you're using Arch or something else, it officially is supported on Ubuntu and none of the other distros out there, but you can get it to work in them, so I think it's a pretty cool game and definitely worth checking out. Nice. I'm not much of an MMO player, but uh, I know a lot of people who have asked me for suggestions on games that they could use play MMOs on Linux, and uh, this sounds like a good option for them. Absolutely. So, also a good option if you are a SoundCloud fan, and th- that is the spotlight for the software spotlight for the week, and it is, uh, I, Come I, on, cover, I, I was co- hoping for you. I know, I know that right. I couldn't find an actual answer to the how to say it, and I've covered this on this week in Linux before, and I also butchered it then. So, Aureo is what I'm guessing it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a a u r y o. It could be. No. Ario, Ario, Ario. Yeah, but I mean that would be too easy. So I'm go. I'm gonna have to go with Ario. Like just <laughs> okay, Mitchell. Whatever you say, Mitchell. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. So this is actually pretty cool because it's a it's a desktop SoundCloud uh, client. And if you ever use the SoundCloud website, it's not 
very good like it, <laughs> at all to use the player is annoying it sometimes navigating will it. yeah navigating yeah. it finding new content it's it's not that fun. So this one has a lot of cool stuff because you can add, like, you can keep track of, like, you can log in and keep track of stuff, but it also has keyboard shortcuts built into it, and you can do, the, like, an easy access to the search, and you can do, like, your own library with playlists and, like, all kinds of stuff. Like, it makes SoundCloud reasonably easy, well, easier to use. So, like, have you all had a chance to check it out? Yeah, I, I absolutely love this application. I think uh, I, I keep it on all of my computers because I like to listen to kind of upcoming artists out there on SoundCloud or some of the channels that other people have taken the time to create because I'm too lazy to uh, that have similar tastes in music to me. And I think this app is just a fantastic way to interface with SoundCloud. But I have to bring out a comment from our um, patron chat from Joshua, who we just interviewed, said, next they're going to tell me there's a native Linux app for MySpace. If there isn't, I'm disappointed, and then I challenge Joshua to help me make it. Yeah, can you create one, Joshua, for Solus? Because we want to get MySpace rocking again. Um, has anybody else tried out this app? I, I tried it out when Ooh. I was testing it pre previously, but it's and it's it's pretty good for like what it's trying to be. I guess we're the only ones that use SoundCloud around here. Well, okay, just so you know, <laughs> if you have if you're ever interested in SoundCloud, you should check out the Destination Linux account section on SoundCloud and there you can also listen to the podcast if you wanted to. Finally, I can hear myself again. Right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm talking to the listeners at the moment. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. My bad. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I also listen to it everywhere we post it. So, like, just to make sure that it was properly posted and uploaded. Anyway, all right, so Zeb, what okay. is our tip and trick of the week? Well, it's a slightly interesting one this week because it comes from one of our listeners via email. So Brock um, asked us to check out F-Dupes. Um, and I'm going to read this verbatim because it doesn't make sense at the beginning, but it does when you get to the end of his first sentence. He says, I use this program seldom to find duplicate files on the system. You can also auto-delete as well. This program should be used with fear and trembling. I love it. Now, maybe that's why he seldom uses it. It's, he said, it goes on to say, it can really mess things up if you, in, if you intentionally have duplicate copies of some files. Mm -hmm. Or it can delete a backup, or it can keep the backup, or it could delete the non-backup. I love so it. It I sounds mean, like you've got to like be very careful how you set it up um, and where you're going to allow it to d delete stuff from. Because I've had experience with other um, deep, you know, delete duplicates. Um, mm -hmm. And just because, let's say, a photograph was taken on the same day and is 100% exactly the same size as this one, these types of programs will go, oh, Duplicate. Do you want to delete it? And unless you review them, so if you've got a list of, let's say, 3,000 files and it's found 600 duplicates, are you really going to go and look through? Because you would have done that anyway. So you use one of these and you could end up with a disaster on your hand. Yep. But he did go on to say, my mother-in-law had tons of duplicate photos. It helped her save dozens of gigs of space. Yep. So F-Dupes, check it out. But please be careful. We wouldn't want Research. you to delete yeah. your downloaded copies of Destination Limits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what you need to do is if you were going to use this, go into the directory that you like CD into the directory that you want to use it in and do it there. And that way you can just at least make sure that only the directories 
that you are in are able to be affected by it. And then cross your fingers. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, we've decided we're going to save the big announcement for next week. So thank you, patrons, for joining us. And we'll. Uh, oh, you're not going to let us get away with that. Hang um, wait for the riot. Yep. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching, listening to Destination Linux, however you do it. And a special thanks to Noah for joining us once again this week. Dude, it's always awesome to have you on here. Thank you so much for coming on again. Thanks for having me. So, Zeb, how can they get a hold of us? Well, um, if they're already a patron, um, they can get hold of us, just like uh, Yannick did in chat. So I'm not going to read that out, but you can read it and uh, feel, the, feel the love. Yeah. Um, so get back to us on comments at destinationlinux.org. You will. Um, our Telegram group. Yep. Say again? I said you will to get back to us on comments and destinations. Oh, you will. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was going to save that for the big at the end, so you spoiled oh, it now. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Our Telegram group, Discord, Google+, Twitter, Mastodon, and lots of other ways. Um, and you'll find those at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So just as a change up, please keep the comments coming. We really do like them. Um, yep. And we love reading about them. And sometimes it's really hard one week to the next deciding which which email to use. So let us know what you're up to. Let us know what we're up to, what you like, what you dislike, but keep it clean. And yep. and speaking of what you like, be sure to like that smash button. And to, uh, you know, if, you, if you'd like to you know, join us in the live stream, you could like experience the show live. All of the great uh, post-production that you love and enjoy. You can see what it looks like before I do all that. And uh, you can, <laughs> <laughs> so so you can join us for just $1. And as Ryan likes to say, that's that's darn near free. That's right. So uh, be, be, free to, be, uh, be sure to do that. And also share the, sh- the show on social media and things like that. So uh, be sure to do that. Uh, so show some, uh, share, I, I got tongue twisted there. Share the, sh- the show. She said that's why it's because it's the sh- sh- at the back to back share mm-hmm. the show on social media and also rate the podcast in the various different podcast apps. And it's, and you can also go rate it and like it on SoundCloud if you like to through our software pick. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone. Uh, one last thing. I'm here to stay as a permanent host. See you next week. <laughs> yes. <laughs>